You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. It is good to see everybody here, and wow, just uh, there's a lot of you people here today. It's uh, welcome, and it's so glad to have some new people I met before the service. So glad you took the time to check us out, and there's some great churches in our community. We're just glad to be one of them, amen? Amen. So anyway, we began a series last week, and I know that it was July 1, and a lot of you were gone, and we launched the series New Horizons for 2023, and I'm going to continue it for this month. So that message is available online. I'll be touching on it here very briefly, uh, a little bit of what I said last week because it's a continuum here. But we're going to be reading some scripture, and usually uh, I, I break down those verses and spend the whole message based on breaking that text down. Today, this series is a little bit different as I'm talking about subject matter and using a variety of scriptures. So let's everybody stand for the reading of the word. We read this last week, but Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, and then Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Everybody, let's begin. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. And now Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Now, Holy Spirit, I know that you preach a message to a person's mind and heart, even though they hear words that are spoken out loud. There is another language that happens inside of a person. And that's the message that I want them to have today. May they not just hear what I say, may they hear what you say into their heart, into their spirit, and into their mind. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. This new Horizons 2023 has to do with not being specific about predictions, but being prepared for whatever may come in life. I think 2020 taught us that predictions... Uh, there's a lot of things that can happen in life that you never see coming down the pike. And you find this, it's real important for me to have the right tools in my toolbox for whatever is coming down the pike. We read a couple scriptures, let me touch on them. It says, the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. This verse tells us that writing things down with simple clarity allows other people to participate in the vision. So one of the things that I want to encourage you is this. Notice I put down things so that you can read them because I know the retention is much greater. But the other part of this I'm going to tell you is this. I want to encourage you to take notes. I already had people from first service who said, you went too fast, my camera wasn't functioning fast enough. So that's people in the first service. I'm just telling you. They were saying, like, uh, hey, is there any chance this is going to be available online? I said, it will be available online. But I want to give this to you because you're going to find this is really a helpful message today and what we're going to be talking about. The other part, the verse says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. This verse tells us this. Without vision, 
which is a preferred view, a future, people wander and become unproductive. Vision is about telling people a preferred future. Let me tell you what is out there, and let me tell you why it is good and why it's worth pursuing. People who don't have vision, they wander. And when we wander, we go outside the lanes of life and we become unproductive, then we get frustrated because we're not having the impact that we feel like we ought to have. And it all comes back to, do I have a vision that is taking me to a preferred future of my life? Or even as a church. And so that's what I want to lay out for you, is some of these tools to help you know how to achieve those things in life. So last week I shared these three things, and I'm just reading them, I'm not going to preach them over. Again, it's the principles of obeying God's word. What am I going to do obeying God's word this year that I didn't do so well last year? Emphasizing, what do I need to start working on obeying? The principle of sowing and reaping. Just being a Christian doesn't mean I'm blessed. Okay, let me just, you can be a Christian and still be irresponsible. Okay? So the principle of the Bible teaches us we reap what we sow. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm sowing smartly. Has anybody met a Christian who seemed to be somewhat deficient in their mental capacities to understand? That's all I'm saying. Right, you go, why are you making life so hard on yourself by making these choices and decisions? And then the principle of fasting. That had such a resounding amen last week, I'm going to do it again today. Actually, I'm going to be touching. I just unpacked it a little bit, okay? So, everybody read this out loud with me. To connect people to God, one another, and the marketplace. That's the vision of the bridge. When you say, when I come to the bridge, what can I expect? I'm going to tell you right up front. We're trying to connect you to God. And we're going to, that's the emphasis of today's message. Connecting you to God. How do you do that? The other part that you saw through the Connection Group Parade and Fair, and you'll see it next week, we'll be talking on it, is connect to one another because life is not all about you. You need to connect to other people because you become better and they become better. Christianity is not a solo act. It is a community effort in which we live out the realities of Christ together in our lives. And then the other one is the marketplace. We're not trying to saddle you with a ton of church activity. What we're trying to teach you is this, that how you live has the ability to make a difference on Main Street. It can make a difference where you live, where you work, and we want to show you how that happens in life. So when you come to the bridge, we're just saying, this is what we're serving up, okay? If you, it's like going home. What's for supper? You come to the bridge, so, so, what are we, so what's for supper at the bridge? Connecting you to God, one another in the marketplace. What are you doing tomorrow? Connecting you to God, one another in the marketplace. That's who we are. And like I said, we try to limit the types of church big events that we do because we don't want to draw energy away from you going out and living it out in front of people who still haven't accepted Jesus Christ. All right, so let's begin with connecting to God. We're going to talk about some tools for spiritual growth, and I'm going to say something, and I backed it up because I got the feedback from people in the first service, some of them who have been Christians a long time, and I said, I'm going to teach you something today that you have never realized, even though you've read your Bible over and over, you're going to realize something about your faith. Because one of the things that I commit to is this, I study till I learn something, and then I come preach it. I'm not just reaching into the files of 40 years and just regurgitating information that I already knew. 
I'm always reaching for, okay, I have some basics that, yes, I've always known, but I'm always reaching for something that I did not know. Because I don't know about you, I like fresh baked bread. (laughs) Keto or not. I like fresh baked bread, okay? And that's what I try to say. Look, you're going to get, but we're going to have some fresh baked bread. And everybody said amen to that. So listen, connect to God. Listen, it all begins with the devotional life. What is the devotional life? Well, the, the purpose of a devotional life is to feed one's spiritual nature in a more personal way. Do not want to underestimate the impact of coming together like we do today. There is, a, there is a dynamic and experience that I get here that I can't get by myself. But there's also things that I can't get here that I can get by myself. It's not either or. It is both. And just as I've said many times, I preach the best that I know how to do. I preach the gospel as, as, as truthfully and faithfully as I know how. But there is no way that every Sunday I can deliver a message that addresses everybody's specific needs. There's no way. And so that's where the devotional life comes in. It's critical. I need to know how to connect to God when I'm not being inspired by the crowd. How do I do that? What do I do? And so we're going to unpack this a little bit this morning. So one of the things that we use here at the bridge, I know Pastor Austin has used this with the youth, and it's trying to introduce a simplistic approach, and we call it SOAP, okay? S means you read a scripture, okay? And the second thing is the O stands for observation. So you, after you read a scripture, you do a little digging on what, who said it, what was the context, what can I garner about the context of what I just read. So you can, how many know? This takes you out of speed reading. Okay, so if it's really really critical for you to check your box that you're reading three and a half chapters every day so that you read the Bible through, you aren't going to have time to do this. you got to slow it down. So you have to make a decision. Is this about speed or is this about absorption? Okay, so observation. Do a little digging, a little learning about the context and see how the scripture reveals itself based on those dynamics. Then it's application. So based on now what I've learned about the scripture, what should I do with it? How do I apply it in my life? And then the last thing is you pray about it. Okay, God, I know what I'm supposed to do with this. So now I'm going to pray the word. I need that to become a reality. Here are the obstacles, the challenges that happen in my life. So you can see this has a real cleansing effect. Soap. Okay. The comedic part of me will not pick up a second career. I'll stay a preacher. All right, so we, we, it's, it's great to use that word soap because it's easy to remember. And now that I've told one of the most corniest jokes that you've ever heard, you'll always remember that. Okay, so it's just the point of, okay, so that's very, very useful. Now, here's the new stuff. Where in, when in history were people able to read the Bible as a part of the daily devotional? Um, and, okay, let me premise this. I think it's a great idea to read the Word every day. But let me point something out. It wasn't until the 1500s that the printing presses started happening to where the Bible was available to the masses. And it wasn't until the 1600s that it really took hold 
and became available, you know, because there were two things. Number one, there was no mass printing available before the 1500s. And secondly, most people did not read and write. So even if they got a copy of the Bible, it wasn't going to do them any good. They didn't know how to read. So how did they connect to Jesus for 1,500 years? If you would have said, you need to read your Bible every day, they would have said, it'd just be great to have one. And then if I get one, you know anybody that can teach me how to read? So how do these people connect to Jesus? See, we read the scriptures of these folks and we forget they didn't have copies. The copy of the, the, any copy of the Bible was at the, was at the worship center. So synagogue, temple, whatever it may be, that's where it was. And the only, t- the only word you took home was the one that you could memorize while the preacher was preaching. He'd read a scripture, you tried to memorize it, and that was your word that you took home. It was based on memory. Remember, you didn't even know how to take notes. And yet these people experienced God daily. How did they do that? You, you, how many want a real? How many are ready now for the big? I just shocked you. I can tell by looking at your face. How many are ready for a bigger shock? Not even Jesus had a Bible that he could read every day. <gasps> I never thought of it, and yet he thrived. So what's this balance about devotions? By the way, you and I should be very honored that we have access to a Word twenty four seven. You have no idea. the bl- So I had a whole segment devoted to the history of how we ended up with getting a written Bible, and I thought it was pretty fascinating, except it was a 45-minute message. <laughs> I'm serious. I had it all ready to go, and I was like, oh, this, oh man, this is going to take 45 minutes. So it's in my files. So can I tell you one story? Okay. Since there's such an overwhelming enthusiasm about hearing the story, I'm going to give you one story. This is pretty fascinating to show. So people did not have access to the Bible, but they sensed that there were some things wrong that were being preached. And because the Bible has been translated into the Latin, and some educated people began to figure out that the Catholic Church had messed with the translation in Latin. Now, let me. this is not a message about getting on... Uh, attacking other denominations. It's, it, I'm just reading a historical fact, okay? This is not about attacking anybody. But this is what happened. And so these men and women had access, they had an education, and so they made the effort to go back and find the original Greek and Hebrew translations and from the Hebrew and the Greek, figure out if it was translated from the Hebrew and the Greek into their language, what does it say? And they were fascinated to find out how much of the Bible had been edited. To show you the power of this revelation, if you've ever heard of St. Paul in London, the big, how many have heard of the big church, St. Paul in London, okay? Let me tell you why that's such an iconic place. There was a guy who educated himself, he learned the Greek, he learned the Hebrew, and he began to translate the Bible into his language and saw such revelation that he sent out word that he would be translating from the Hebrew and the Greek as he read And if you wanted to hear this, to come to St. Paul, and he would be reading out loud, just the Bible, just reading it. you got to remember, people didn't have a copy, right? 20,000 people stood to listen to him read God's Word. As they heard it in their language and understood it, 
it had such a profound effect on them. 20,000 people came a day just to hear a guy read the Bible with the principles that they had never heard. It had always been edited. It was always spoken Latin, and then they had to rely on somebody to tell them what it meant. When, and finally, they were hearing God's word in their language. That, let me, that's what made St. Paul in London so iconic. So that's just one piece of history. I just gave you three minutes of a 45-minute message on that. It's fascinating to see what God did to get us his copy of his word to us. It's incredible. But, so going back to this, so how do we connect with God? How did these people in the Bible connect to God? I'm going to give you nine things that I've picked up, okay? And I'm going to have to do this quick, so you're either going to have to take a photo or write it down, but I promise you this will change your devotional life. Because it's not just read the Bible that I'm going to tell you. It's talking about ways that these folks connected to God. Number one was this. They connected with God through creation. I didn't say they worshiped God as, as creation. They saw God in creation. They saw the, the sunrises, the sunsets, the landscapes, the trees, the plants, the animals. And I can give you examples in the Bible. Abraham looked at the stars and God said, see the stars? I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. He didn't say Genesis chapter 3 verse, it hadn't been written yet. He said, look at the sand at your feet. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the sand, as the grains of sand. You go through the book of Psalms and you can see David referring to creation over and over, the majesty of God. Even Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Okay, you, read, uh, you even read about Jesus. When he was overwhelmed with people and he needed to get away, it says he went into the desert. He went up on a mountainside. He withdrew into the wilderness. Even Jesus used the creation to connect to God. And by the way, when he went out into the wilderness, he didn't have a copy of the Bible go with him. Why? Because he understood God was even out there. God was everywhere and he connected to him. By the way, how many have ever been to the bridge and saw the sunset over the mountains? Yeah, sometimes I pull up and, you know, the sunset's just right. And I pull in and I roll down my window. And I, I just always do this. I'll just say, wow, God, you painted a great one tonight. Yeah, that is awe-inspiring what I'm seeing. That just didn't happen. And to think that God's got a whole other canvas for the next night. Wow. Another way people connected with God was through their senses, through sight, through sound, through smell, through touch, through taste. You say, what? David wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have ever taken communion? The bread, the cup, isn't that using your taste? Oh, yeah, see... There are a variety, and by the way, even when you went to the temple in the Old Testament, the sacrifices of animals, that, you know, burnt animals have an odor. But God said, when I smell that, I, God says, I, I honor that. You also read in Exodus where there were, listen to me, they had incense, and if you'll take the time to slow down your reading, you'll see that God had a recipe. It wasn't just any incense. God said, this is what I want in the incense. This is how you make it. God says, I want this smell. 
So in other words, when you approached the temple, you picked up the odor of the temple before you even got in the temple. God says, I just don't want my place to look a certain way and sound a certain way. God says, I want my place to smell a certain way. And they would assign that smell with, oh, that's, that's the temple. That's what they're doing over there. They're sacrificing or they're burning incense. Another way they connected with God is through tradition, ritual, symbol. You say, well, praise God, we've been delivered of that. No, you haven't. We have the ritual, we, we have communion. We have the ritual of water baptism. We have the ritual of Christmas. We have the ritual of Easter. Some of you have a ritual of always wearing a cross on a chain around your neck. And some of you just went. I didn't say, listen, I didn't say it was wrong. I'm just pointing out. Let's, let's, let's look at the ways that we engage our faith, even through ritual and tradition. Now, here's where ritual and tradition becomes the problem. When it counters something that is taught in Scripture. There's, my tra any tradition is fine as long as it doesn't violate something that the Bible tells me to live or to do. But when my tradition starts to become more powerful in my life than a scriptural principle, now the tradition is a problem. Everybody with me? So we all have traditions that we do this. Another way they connected with God was through ascetics, which was solitude, simplicity, strictness. There are some people who are like, I have a minimalist mentality. I want to live on as little as possible. I, my house is as minimal as possible. My furniture, everything is minimal because I feel close to God in, in, in a minimal footprint in life. And those with us with air conditioning say, God bless you. You say, where in the world is that in the Bible? John the Baptist. It even describes, he's in the wilderness, the guy is eating locust and wild honey, and he's dressed in camel's hair. No, that is not my way to connect to God. John the Baptist wouldn't go to Jerusalem. He stayed away. He didn't like the city life. He didn't, he didn't like, he stayed in the wilderness. And yet, people would walk out to listen to him. Because they said there's something about him. His strictness wasn't legalism. There was something genuine. Hey, even Jesus went out to see him. And by the way, you can make somewhat of a case here that even Jesus was this. Jesus lived a minimal lifestyle. He owned nothing. He had a pretty minimal life standard, okay? He didn't make a big footprint in the economic world. He didn't have a place to live. He was basically moving around, had people who would support him. But, and, but we also read that Jesus spent a lot of time, his lifestyle was very simple, right? So even to some degree, and, and again, that's how Jesus connected to his father. We also read that there was connection with God through activism. Now, I know that that's a politically charged word, so would you let me define it rather than the media? Activism is this. Something is wrong, and somebody needs to do something. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to process. There's something wrong. 
And the more we sit around every day, the more that wrong grows. Somebody needs to do something today, and I'm going to do that. And I'm not talking about violence. I'm not talking about extremism. I'm just talking about being moved to the point that you say, I feel responsible to step in. And so they get involved in political reform. That's, I had the opportunity a couple months ago to be at the Capitol and meet with some of the families of the representatives there. And listening to, and by the way, these aren't folks that get the microphone. If you haven't noticed by now, they interview the same 12 people every day. And you never hear from the other 423 of them, okay? You just, you know, the same 12. And so they're, you could say they're no-name politicians. And they just said, I was a school teacher. I was a, I was, I was a business person. I was this. And I got involved. And went, you know, at first I started local and this. And why did you do that? Why did you, get, why did you put your family into this process? Why did you do this? I just, I just felt like God said, do it do it. I just felt like I had to do it. And, and my family said they thought God was calling me to do it. You don't hear their stories. And so they said, I'm, you know, I, I'm one person that you never ever will see behind the microphone. The media never shows up on my doorstep to ask me my opinion. But if you look at how I vote and what I say, I'm trying to be as consistent as I possibly know to do to my faith. These, listen, they're, they're, they really believe they've been called. And then there's other people who are committed to social reform. Hey, we're getting ready to celebrate a, a day, Martin Luther King Day, who was committed to social reform. And it's no, I don't think it's a I don't think it's any mystery that God chose an African-American pastor who said, This can't go on. Somebody has to say enough. And he did. And he introduced major civil rights reform, even though it was declared, well, we've already got that. He said, have you been to my community? They didn't get the memo that civil rights has happened. In fact, we got whole states that haven't recognized that it happened. Again, that was, that was Martin Luther King's way of connecting to God. Somebody needs to do so. And I say this, you also have fine arts reform. Oh, by the way, social reform. Had the opportunity, there's a man that's connected to our church. And I have permission to tell you, that I have to leave the whole, whole lot of dynamics of this out. He said, I'm the guy that when the sex slave trade, he said, man, when I was in high school and college, that got me. And he said, so I became a part of, and he said, now I'm a part of the team that when they know where they're at and they go in to go get these people who have been trapped, I'm the guy, he said, I'm the guy many times that kicks in the door. And I said, man, I must be awesome to go. I rescued, I was at the tip of the spear that changed somebody's destination or destiny. He says, oh yeah, it feels good. But it sure does feel lousy when you get there too late. And I just said, you just got to know as a pastor, I'm proud of you. Because it goes beyond saying somebody needs to do something. No, I'm the person. And when you kick in a door and you rescue people, you know what? A connection to God happens there. Like, God used me to change their future. And you know what? And God used me to stop some really bad people who need 
to be stopped, who need to be judged. And then there's this fine arts reform. You're starting to see some of this more and more, but people in the music industry, people in the, in the acting business, in advertising business who said, this stuff has gone too far. And I'm getting involved in it, and I'm holding my morals and my values, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to participate, but I'm not, bu- I'm not buying the Hollywood lining. You see some actors who've, who've had their materials isolated, and, and they've tried to, to stomp them out, and they just said, no, I'm not going away. I'm not. Why do they do that? Because they feel a connection to God when they do that. That something has to change, and they're the person, hey, I'm going to change my corner of the world. And by the way, you see this even in the Bible. You can read the book of Micah. Micah was about social reform. There's a whole chapter where he's calling out on the corruption in the justice system. And he's calling them out, saying, this is wrong and you need to stop. The system was rigged. And Micah says, then I'll call it out and I'll do something about it. And he calls them out. Let's move on. There's a connection with God through caregiving. What does that look? Well, first thing you think of is somebody who's physically infirmed or elderly who needs assistance. Yes, it certainly involves that. But it goes beyond that. It's personally serving people in need. Maybe somebody is in a crisis. Their house has burnt down. Their house has been hit by a tornado, a storm, a flood. And you're, just, you're, the, you're the person who shows up with the chainsaw first. You're the person who says somebody needs to do something about housing crises and housing deficiencies and unaffordability. And so you go to Habitat for Humanity and say, where's the next house being built? I don't want to theorize it. I don't want to have a community discussion about it. I want to put my hands on the solution and build a house for somebody. And every time you swing a hammer, cut a board, whatever you do, dig dig a trench, you're like, Jesus is here. Because somebody's going to have a house because of my efforts and the people around me. Somebody, that dedication day, when you dedicate the house, you might as well be de- dedicating the house of God. It's a big deal. It's serving people in need. Then there's connecting with God through celebration. When you're just, how many have ever just been in a happy mood? Come on, you know who these people are. They're the ones who are in worship service and they don't understand they have one seat, but they move around and act like they have two. I didn't say look at them. They're just the person, you know, they, they just got happy feet. You know, they're like you're, like, you're like, hey, you get one seat. Come on, it's crowded. Stay in your lane. Hey, you're on my side. Sometimes I have to do that with Pastor Lisa. I'm supposed to keep a seat between me and the guy down front here, Bill, and my wife keeps bumping me, and all of a sudden I'm bumping Bill, and I'm like, how did I get moved over an entire seat? It's all because of her little happy feet over there, you know. (laughs) You know, some mornings, listen to me, I just put in the ear pods, and I just want some happy music of Jesus. How many saw the Christmas Day service Online, can I see your hand? Okay, those of you who lifted your hand, if you had somebody who did not lift their hand, would you lean over and tell them you missed it? The worship team, man, they put together some worship songs on Christmas. Wow, 
And uh, one of those songs, I'd say, hey, I want you to do this one. And they were like, ooh, that's a challenge. I said, yeah, but I think you got, and Pastor Malik, man, he mastered that. And so it was the open, it was after the opening, there was a, and then they did that song. And you say, man, I was like, wow. I said, well, yeah, we're celebrating the birth of Christ for Pete's sakes. We can reflect about it later. <laughs> so we, we had to tape all this stuff like two weeks in advance so that we get everything done. So when they had the final edit, they sent it to me. And I, so I had this two weeks ahead of time. And man, I was like, oh, wow, this is really awesome Christmas music. So you just got to know I had that, I, I, I blotted myself out. I just wanted the music, man, all three songs. And I was just playing, I, I just cranked that stuff in my truck, man. I was just having, I had a real hard time driving the speed limit. Because I was so happy as I was listening to it. And that's my point is there's just days you're like, look, I'm not in a reflection mode. I'm in a celebratory, yay, go Jesus mode. That's okay. And so these folks, are, they get excited. They have some awe. Then there's the oh, uh, connecting with God through contemplation. These are the folks who say, could you please keep your music down? They want to go to solitude. They want to pull away. They want to meditate. They want to journal. They want to reflect. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's, to them, Jesus is in the quiet moments. They're like, Jesus is over there in that prayer closet. If I can just get in there and close the door and get you people away from me, I'm fine. He's over there. He's waiting for you. I got an appointment with Jesus out in the middle of nowhere. Hey, Jesus did this. Anybody that can go to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and talk to God? Pretty good. I'm telling you, I could probably do a day, and then I want some Chick-fil-A. <laughs> right? You know? And I'm going to want some conversation, want some interaction. I'm going to say, let's go get some coffee. You know, what do you have to say? I, I can't do that for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, I know how I'm wired. I mean, I might connect with God maybe two days, but after that, I am like connected all I want to be connected. Okay, and for some people, like, oh, that'd just be so wonderful a whole week, and I'm like, a whole week. God bless you. And then finally, there's connecting with God through intellectualism. Again, let me define that. Don't take what the marketplace is calling us. I don't mean that in an arrogant sense. These are people when they learn, when they study, when they read. They're doing apologetics. They connect to God. Is it any surprise to you that that's mine? I do some of the others, but that's, that's mine. I'm, I don't like e-books. I like hardback. I want to touch them. I want to hold them. I don't like reading articles online. I want to print them. I want to file them. Because I have, let me tell you, see, yeah, I'm the guy who's hurting all the trees right now, so. <laughs> but here's why. So I have a yellow highlighter. And you know when God is speaking to me, when you hear that squeaking noise of a highlighter going across the page. When's Jesus speaking? I can't get that on the computer. That's when I know Jesus is speaking. And sometimes that material makes it into a sermon. A lot of times I just file it under a topic make some notes, so I save it. And I just don't have filing, ca filing cabinet. I have those double-wide filing cabinets, you know, like double-wides, and there's four drawers. I got two of those, and they're just full. 
And it's all you know, based on topics. And so when I read something, I file it. And so over the years, when I pull for a message, I pull that file and there's stuff that I have just pumped in there for years. And, it's, and there's the articles, but I have to read them because I already highlighted them. It's already got all the yellow marks. I go, oh, Jesus was there, Jesus was there, Jesus was here, and Jesus was there. That's all I need. I need to know where Jesus was in the article. I don't need the whole article. I don't have to reread it. I just grabbed what I've highlighted over the years. That's big to me. I'm not equating myself at this level, but I'm just using it. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul was an intellectual. If you can write half the New Testament, you got some brain activity going on, Right? And that's where he found God. As he was writing to these churches, he was connecting to God about their situations and their context. So as I wrap it up, sort of wrap it up, I'm in this time constraint now. I've got one more point that is just as long as this first point. So here we go. I'm going to go 70 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. So can you just put on your seatbelt, and if you need to capture the information, you're probably just going to have to take a quick snapshot, okay? And uh, if not, it'll be available online. So I want to talk on fasting and uh, the discipline of fasting related to the devotional life. We have this fast coming up. You received a card last week. You should have gotten one today. If you didn't get one already, they're still available at the door. And we're asking you in that three-week period, can you choose the same day every week? Work it into your schedule so that it's a normative practice. One day, okay? We're not asking you to go 21 days. We're asking you to do one day per week. So three times in three weeks. Choose one day. Here's what I have found is this. Without a sense of urgency, we don't do things well in our culture. We can make our list. But if it's not urgent, it doesn't really happen or it doesn't happen well. So until so there's some urgency, we really don't have a tendency to lean into it. And that's kind of what fasting is. It's like, okay, so how do you have some sense of urgency about this? I would say this. After the devotional expressions, I said, there's a variety of ways to do devotions and connect with God. Understanding what fasting does. Because if I asked everybody this question on one-on-one, I said, would you like to see a new dimension of God's activity in 2023? Most of you would go, Absolutely. Well, how about if I showed you what, see, here's the thing, but I don't know what it is. I just know when it shows up, but I can't articulate it on this side. I just say, well, yeah, I'd like a new dimension. Well, what does it look like? I don't know, but I'll know when it's God. Okay, so let's, let's do something for the surprise. Okay, so let me share this. I'm going to go really, really quick. Number one, you fast because you need spiritual breakthroughs. The Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. Heard a voice, was blinded. His response was to fast for three days and three nights. Not just food, but also drinking, no liquid. Three days, he was desperate for a breakthrough about why this had happened to him. So you fast because you go, I just know there's more, but I don't know what it is. Please God, show me. Then you also read in Acts chapter 13 that God revealed new potential spiritual leadership. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
One of the dynamics that's happened here at the bridge, you can see we're growing exponentially, right? And so over the years, we've had to keep adding new leadership in various capacities. Listen, God brings those new dimensions of leaders through fasting. He reveals them. We can't always assess somebody with our own two eyes. Sometimes you need Jesus to help you see a person the way he sees them. Then there's also new dimensions of his activity through us. It says in, in, in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that, it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. The prayer and the fasting released Jesus into a new dimension of expression. I think God has new expressions for your life this year. But it's not going to happen wishing. It's not going to happen hoping. You're going to have to press in. Say, I'm ready to see new dimensions of the Holy Spirit break in my life. I'm a follower of Jesus, but there's an adversary that wants me to deny, deny me the blessings that he has for my life. And fasting breaks that grip. Amen? There's also new dimensions of deliverance. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Everyone in this room knows somebody who's been a victim or a family that has been traumatized by somebody else's addictions or somebody else's uh, unstableness in life. And they're oppressed, they're depressed. Hey, some might even be possessed. You're not going to just whip that with a few words. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to break in their life. I spoke with a man in the first service, nine, it was uh, five minutes before service. He comes in the door, and I always greet him, and I just said, hello, how you doing? And he just shared with me that one of his closest friends had OD'd, and he had, he's a husband with four kids. And I said, not, then this is not it. He said, man, I, I don't know what to do. It's my friend. And I just said, look, we got about three minutes before service starts. We're praying right here. So we just stood in that lobby and we prayed. There are people who need you to fight the battle for them because they can't fight it. We all know somebody who's oppressed, who's got a yoke over them. And unless God breaks the cycle, it's going to happen again. They need deliverance. Amen? Why does fasting always have to be about us? Why can't it be about somebody else? Last thing. No, I'll give you a couple more. New dimensions of community, health, prosperity. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Listen. We make Main Street better. We don't go into the community, find problems, and cry about it. We find problems and we say, what can I do to fix it? We are the ones who repair the broken walls. We are the ones who restore the streets. And we are the ones who fix dwelling. We go into communities and we make things better. We do not make them worse. 
we do things to where our community's leaders will say, thank God the bridge showed up. Instead of going, oh brother, the bridge showed up. Call security. No. I want my community leaders, whether they agree with my theology or not, I don't want them to ever waver on the fact. I may not agree with your faith, but I will acknowledge that when you show up, things get better. So you're always welcome here. I always want that invitation. I am not here to be a pain to my leaders. I am here to be a blessing. If you don't stop, I'll never wrap this up. Last one. Okay, seriously, last one. Here we go. New dimensions of personal health and prosperity. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. God says it may be sun-scorched, but you can be the well that solves the problem. I just gave you a whole bunch of reasons to fast. It's not all about us. It's about him through us. Listen, I am not afraid. Okay, I got to you're, you're asking too many questions. That first, one I skipped are the questions I asked last week. So here we go. We're going to wrap this up. Here's the questions for the day. What day of the week from January 16th, February 5th, will I commit to fast? Two, what are the obstacles that I have to address to make this happen? It will not be easy. So do the homework on the front end. What are the two to three other devotional expressions that I can utilize to strengthen my devotional life? One of my favorite meals that my wife makes is called Chicken Divine. Even sounds holy, doesn't it? It's a broccoli and chicken and cream cheese, you know, man, this is, and I love it. I don't want it every day. That's why we need to change up our devotional life expressions. Okay? It's okay to go, hey, today I'm going to choose this expression. Why? Because I don't want chicken divine every day. Okay? And then finally, by fasting, I'm believing God for new dimensions of God's activity in what arenas of life. I will say it again. No sense of urgency, no action. I've seen it time, I've seen it even in my own life. Without urgency, I don't sustain it. I gotta have a vision that's bigger than me. And everybody said amen.